This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin tonight's entertainment by visiting Nero Wolf, the brilliant, oversized, eccentric armchair detective created in 1934 by American mystery writer Rex Stout. He lives in a luxurious brownstone on West 35th Street in New York City, and he's loath to leave his home for anything that would keep him from reading his books, tending his orchids, or eating the gourmet meals prepared by his chef, Fritz Brenner. Archie Goodwin... That's Wolf's sharp-witted, dapper, young confidential assistant with an eye for attractive women, narrates the cases and does the legwork for the detective genius. Let's hear tonight's episode, The Beautiful Archer. Ladies and gentlemen, that phone bell means exciting adventure. Hello? Hello? The handsome young man answering Hello? the phone is Archie Goodwin. A mountain of a man engrossed in deep thought in the oversized armchair is Nero Wolf. Hey, boss. Oh, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf. There's a guy on the phone wants us to take a case. Seems that someone was mad at a guy who was mad, and now this guy on the phone is mad, wants us to find out who did the killing. What do you say, Mr. Wolf? We need the money. <laughs> Hello? Yes, Mr. Wolf says he'll be happy to take the case. Just present yourself and a check for $2,000 at 601 West 35th Street at 11 o'clock. Mr. Wolf can't wait till you get here. He's dying to go to work. Goodbye. <sighs> Greatest detective in the world. The only trouble is... He is. <laughs> Yes, listeners, Archie is so right. He is the greatest detective in the world, and the fattest, and the least energetic. He's Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you over this NBC network in a new series of adventures by Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. <laughs> Tonight, it's The Case of the Beautiful Archer. That's a good title. And it was a good case, too. It began in the consulting room of Dr. Raynard Townley of the Townley Sanitarium, uh, skipping a jump north of Nyack, New York, when a very lovely young lovely glared across the desk at the good doctor. Shall we pretend you don't know who I am, Dr. Townley? How could we possibly do that, my dear Diana Lawrence? Twenty-three years old, daughter of one of our better-known sculptors, Michael Lawrence. You were born in Johannesburg, educated in London and Paris, and live at present a hundred yards from here in your father's cottage on Berry Hill Lane. How's that? 
It's intended to be staggering, isn't it? You take no cream or sugar in your coffee? We're winner of the Women's National Archery Tournament for 1947 and have an exceedingly high temper. Let's stop the nonsense. You have an inpatient here named Willard Garth. Willard Garth happens to be my fiancé. Yes, he has mentioned the fact during his analysis. And, um... Well, has he by any chance mentioned his reasons for suddenly refusing to see me during the past five weeks? He didn't have to, Miss Lawrence. Well, what do you mean? I mean that I recommended he give you up as a bad job. What? Well, I suppose you had some purpose in saying what you did. Of course. I'm the boy's doctor. You think you're in love with Willard Garth, I know. But actually, you're infatuated with the Garth millions. You take a lot on yourself, don't you, doctor? I consider it important to relieve Willard of all painful external pressure. You've done well for Willard, Dr. Townley. Relieving him of me? I think so. Now, let's see you relieve yourself of me. You, uh... Purchased the gun for this occasion, Miss Lawrence? Yes. And what exactly do you hope to accomplish with it? A quick and complete reversal of your decision about me. I'm not as easy to handle as Willard as you see. And if you intend to ruin my life, then I intend to end yours, here and now. The phone is ringing. Let it ring. Just as you say. It's the house phone, Miss Lawrence. It may be Willard, you know. Oh, Willard? Yes, he uh, usually phones me from his room at about this time every day. Well, all right. Answer it, but be careful what you say. You're in command, it seems. Hello? Oh, why, hello. I thought it would be you, Willard. Look, my boy, Diana Lawrence is here. I've had a talk with her, and I've reconsidered my opinion. Yes, yes, I'm quite serious. If you're at all sensible, you'll see her regularly and plan on a marriage as soon as you're discharged. Yes. Oh, you do? Very well. I'll see if she'll talk to you. Uh, Miss Lawrence. Yes? Do you want to speak with him? Uh, give me the phone. Of course. Here you are, and I'll take this gun. There we are. Now, stand away, Miss Lawrence. But, 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 but Willard, Willard's on the phone. Willard is not on the phone. No one was on the phone. The ring came from the push-button bell under my desk here. Oh. Sometimes I find it convenient to interrupt my consultations with a phone call. Oh, you... You smug, deceitful, self-sufficient... Murder is a vexatious business. You'll be grateful to me one day. All right. Give me my gun and let me go. The gun, I'm afraid, stays with me. Here in this Majolica cabinet. I'd scarcely feel justified in trusting you with it. And now... With your permission, or without it, the interview is ended. Later that day, the phone in the Lawrence house on Berry Hill Lane began to jingle. And this time, it was no phony. Hello? Diana? Yes? Willard, darling. Diana, darling, it's Willard. Imagine... Has the doctor let you use the telephone just as if you were a great big adult? Oh, I've got to see you, sweetheart, and I didn't call you to argue. Love, beauty, understanding, that's what matters, isn't it? Isn't it? Do I hear the overtones of a change of heart? Oh, Diana, what's happened wasn't my fault. He poisoned me against you. Then why don't you walk out of that amateur nuthouse and stand up like a man? I probably shall, Diana. Now, please listen to me. He's letting me have the limousine tonight from 8 until 12. I want us to go for a ride and, and 
is Claire. Claire Isabel, my baby. Don't tell me he's trusting you to drive. Oh, no. No, one of the handyman here will show for us. Oh, say you'll come, Diana. Will you? Say it. Say yes. Say you will. Well, yes, Willard. I'll be glad to. Oh, eight o'clock, then? Eight. Oh, bless you. Bless you, my angel. Oh, so that's it. You want my father's money. That's what you love, not me. Willard, the chauffeur will hear you. It's the way Townley says it is. He's right. He's right. Why did I let you talk me into this? What a fool I was to have come at all. You're sick inside, Willard. So utterly, hopelessly sick. Oh. Oh, so now I'm... I'm hopelessly sick. Yes. Yes, you are. You're trying to confuse me. Take advantage of me. Wind me around your finger. Just because I love you too much. That's it. That's my illness. Of course, I see it now. You. You're the thing I must get rid of. You with your beautiful, beautiful face and your twisted values. You're at the bottom of all my agony. Willard! I'm saving myself. I'm saving myself. Once you're dead, the sickness is ended. I'll be safe. I'll be safe. Dr. Townley? Yes. Come in. Mr. Wolf's been expecting you. Come in, Dr. Townley. Come in. Have a chair. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. I'm so happy you've agreed to take this case. Have a glass of beer. Oh, no, no. Never at this time of morning, thank you. Well, doctor, the newspapers checked with what you told me. The girl and young Garth went out for a ride in your limousine last night. The car was driven by one of your handymen. But that's right. Haynes, his name is. And they never came back. Young Garth was found dead in the car with two bullets in him. The girl was gone, and also Haynes, the handyman chauffeur. Correct, sir. Have you any idea where he could be? No, sir. And the young lady, tell me about her. She's Diana Lawrence, daughter of Michael Lawrence. The sculptor? The sculptor. She lives with him in a small cottage near my sanatorium on Berry Hill Lane. An extremely aggressive and self-centered female with more than a slight flair for violence. Your description might easily lead me to suspect her of this murder, sir. I'm aware of that. And I don't think you'd be far off the mark. As I told you on the phone, she tried to murder me yesterday morning. Hmm. The police have made no headway in locating her? No. The homicide division has contacted her father, but... uh... He's remained quite noncommittal. He simply says that uh, he's sure she's incapable of killing a fly and that he hasn't laid eyes on her since 8 o'clock last night. Highly suspicious behavior. She was unquestionably in the car with young Garth when he was murdered. Hmm. She wasn't alone in the car with him. You were referring to Haynes? Yes, but he can't be found either, remember? It appears that he failed to list his address on his job application. But somehow, Mr. Wolfe, I'm quite sure he'll show up this afternoon. Somehow, Dr. Townley, if I were you, I wouldn't be quite so sure. We must begin by facing the initial problem of locating our suspects. Archie. Yes, sir? Get out the car and drive up to the house on Berry Hill Lane. And then? 
There you will ask Mr. Michael Lawrence to be sensible enough to cooperate with us in finding his daughter. And if the answer is no? I recommend, Archie, that you flatly refuse to take it. Mr. Lawrence was no simple baby to handle. He was in a studio when I walked in, chiseling on a statue of a boy and a girl, both wearing less clothes than the law allows. And before I got a chance to state my name, he commenced giving me a free lecture on the marble work of art. She's good. Really good. She's practically superb. The Ariadne. The what, Ariadne? The girl in the statue. Oh. That's Ariadne. Tragic nymph of Greek mythology. Don't tell me you're not familiar with Apollo and Ariadne. All right, I won't. The Apollo, on the other hand, is unfinished. The face, you see, it uh, <clears throat> it lacks something. The passion of yearning, Olympian desire. And yet, you know, the two figures have motion. Like your daughter? Eh? Your daughter, Diana, she's got motion also. As I hear it, she's been in motion ever since she murdered Willard Garth last night in the back end of a limousine. <laughs> so you're another flatfoot. Uh, not exactly. I'm paid in private by Nero Wolf. Nero Wolf? Yeah. You don't mean that a creditable man like Wolf thinks Diana killed young Garth? Well, he'd like to talk over the possibility with her. How laughable. Look at that face. Is there anything of the murderous in a face like that? In a face like what? Oh, I'm sorry. Diana posed for the Ariadne, you see. And the likeness is exact. Do you think a girl of this type, classic, sensitive, civilized, could descend to the clumsy, brute level of murder? Well, it's... It's a little hard to imagine. There. Even you agree with me. On the other hand... Shall we discuss the other hand over a cup of coffee? I'm quite exhausted. If you insist. I do. Sit down and inhale the atmosphere of culture at its source. There's a pot warming on the stove. Pot of what? Coffee or culture? Hmm. Well, wait and see what he means. Should never ignore a phone call. Those might be something important. Yes? This is Diana, Father. Oh, uh, oh yes, Diana. It's, it's all over the papers. Yes, I know. Well, I, I don't think they'll find me where I am. And I'm staying here until things quiet down a little. Where are you, honey? Uh, what did you say? I said, where are you? You said honey. Daddy, you never call me honey. Uh, I know, it's because I'm excited. Where are you, sweetheart? Not a soul in the world. Where are you? Well, you know where Tyne Pike turns off to the left beyond Bartsville? Yes. Well, I'm... Call me later, Angel. But, Father, I... Oh. Oh, get that motorman's number. You will live, my friend, but not long if you don't control your curiosity. With that mallet you hit me, what was the big idea? You really have to ask that question. Well, aren't you trying to trick my daughter into disclosing her whereabouts? The police are pretty interested in her whereabouts. Then let them find her. But you can't be surprised, my friend, if I choose to protect Diana's interests. So he's working on an Apollo and Ariadne, is he, Archie? Who cares about Apollo and Ariadne? The point is how he worked on my gourd. That, of course, is unfortunate, my boy, but... You get that, please? Mm-hmm. Hello? Inspector Kramer. Hold it. For you. Here. Thanks. Yes? Wolf? Ah, how are you, Inspector? I hear you're in on the Garth killing. 
Not very deeply, I am afraid. We are still trying to locate the Lawrence girl. Well, you can forget about that. Hmm? Yes, we've already located her and released her on a habeas corpus. That sounds interesting. Her father had a lawyer on our heads before she was in here ten minutes. Too bad you couldn't have held on to her. Oh, I don't know. I'm not so sure we want her. Why not? Well, first of all, it's not likely she did it. No? No. Ballistics stated that the bullets that killed Willard Garth were not fired from point-blank range. And she was sitting beside him on the back seat. I see. Also, we found the murder weapon in the grass near where the limousine was parked. And she admitted it was hers. That sounds like a poor reason to release her. Well, the point is she wasn't in possession of the gun when the killing happened. At least so she says. No, who was? The doctor. What doctor? Townley. The guy who runs that sanitarium. According to her, he took the gun away from her for safekeeping at noon yesterday. There was a little more talk between them, something about fresh cigar ashes that were found in the dashboard ashtray of the limousine. After that, the boss hung up and exerted himself enough to put a call through to the Townley Sanatorium. I'm afraid the doctor is very busy just now. So am I, and my business happens to be highly important. Well, I'll say you called, Mr. And I'll ask him to contact you just as soon as he has a free moment. Do you happen to have a free moment, miss? Why, well, yes, sir. Could you spend it by telling me if that handyman, Mr. Haynes, is being located? Why, yes, as a matter of fact, he has. One of the staff just found out where he lives, Mr. Wolf. Well? He has a little cottage at 206 Dockside Road. That's out near Sheep's Head Bay. Thank you. Archie. I'm going someplace, I suppose. You are? You're going to Sheepshead Bay. Hello there. Hmm? Looking for a guy I can't find. Oh? Yeah, his name is Haynes. Stopped at the cottage up there, but there's no one there. I saw you here on the wharf fishing, so uh, I... What did you say his name is... Haynes. H-A-I-N-E-S. Oh, oh, Haynes. Yeah. yeah, do you know him? Well, there's a fellow named Hines used to fish No, no, here. no, not Hines. Haynes. Couldn't be Huntingburg? No, it couldn't be. The name is Haynes. H-A-I-N-E-S. Haynes! Give me a hand here, eh? <laughs> well, what do you know? <laughs> Funny, huh? That guy seems to think my name is Haynes. Yeah, so do I. You do? Yes, I... <laughs> I got back to our house, soaked to the skin and minus Haynes, and just in time to see the boss in the exhausting process of walking across the room to answer the phone. Hello? This is Dr. Townley. You called me. So I did. About the murder? More specifically, about the statement from Diana Lawrence that you removed a firearm from her possession yesterday morning. That's quite correct. It's here in my Majolica cabinet. Is it? Of course it is. I suggest you check. Yeah? I'd like to see you at once. Then I suppose it's vanished. But how did you know? Because it is at ballistics, Doctor. It turned out to be the gun that killed Willard Garth. I... I see. Do you? Yes. And I understand everything now. It's all so crystal clear. Just how crystal clear? I'm quite certain, Mr. Wolf, that I can put my finger on the killer. And I think it would be well if you came here immediately. Oh, I'm afraid it's impossible, sir. Uh, there's an important operation schedule, and I simply cannot leave. 
you suggest? Well, is it outside the realm of possibility that you come here? Is it, Mr. Wolf? Hello, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf? <laughs> When my boss has to leave the house, it's a major tragedy. Sometimes he rages, sometimes he curses the whole detective business, lock, stock, and barrel. And sometimes he keeps very quiet and grips the side of the car desperately and tries not to inhale any fresh air. This was one of the quiet times. Just go slowly, Archie, but get there as quickly as you can. Oh, you don't want a chauffeur, Mr. Wolf. What you need is a magician. Keep your eye on the road and don't strain yourself to make superfluous witticisms. Why don't you try relaxing a little? I hear there hasn't been a man-eating tiger sighted on the Sawmill River Parkway in the last 500 years. Your liberty is out of order. Don't try to make light of a deplorable situation. Here's the sanatorium. And there's Dr. Townley coming to meet us. It's terribly nice of you to have come, Mr. Wolf. I've heard about your aversion to traveling, and I appreciate your going to the trouble. Don't mention it. Oh, Archie, help me out with my other eye. There you are. Now, calm down. You're all in one piece. I think you'll find the trip highly profitable, Mr. Wolf. You'll consider it time very well. Hey. Hey, what's the matter? What is it? What happened? He's been shot. Hardly likely there wasn't a sound. This kind of shot doesn't make a sound, boss. What do you mean? Better take a look for yourself. There's an arrow in his back, and he's dead. We remembered that Dr. Townley had said Diana Lawrence had won the Women's National Archery Tournament for 1947. The Lawrence house was visible through the trees a hundred yards away. So we started for it and the sculptor's studio. There's no one around. So this is his latest effort, Apollo and Ariadne. Yeah. Done a little work on it since I was here. The Apollo's face is more finished and... Hey, boss. Yes? You know, somehow or other, Apollo looks a little familiar. I wouldn't be surprised, Archie. I think if you examine it closely... Ah, our host. You remember me, don't you? I met you once at a dinner party at your house, the time they opened the new museum on 67th Street. Of course, of course, Mr. Lawrence. And to what do I owe the honor? It's not much of an honor. Dr. Townley has been murdered. No. I am afraid Mr. Goodwin is being accurate. He's been murdered with a bow and arrow. And what does that mean to you, Mr. Lawrence? I'm sorry. I've been a fool. An awful fool. You can't blame yourself too much. If you'd cooperated with the police instead of looking out for your daughter's interest, the man would still be alive. But I assure you that... Where's the girl? She should be here now. She phoned me a while ago and said she was coming by for passage money to Rio. You were looking for me? Boss, Diana, put the gun down, Angel. And tie a rope around my neck? Might I inquire if your plan is to kill us all, Miss Lawrence? Oh, what would yours be if the world was after you for something you didn't do? Wouldn't you be willing to risk persuading a jury of that? Thanks, no. I'll skip that chance. Father, Father, get me the money. Diana, sweetheart, don't make me a part of your murders. That's asking too much of love. Don't, don't you know I'm not guilty? No, no, Diana, I don't. <laughs> Leave that gun away, Diana. Haynes. Looks like I walked in on the nose. That's him, boss, the guy who soused me. Take a little of your own advice. Relax, Archie. 
What do you want here, Mr. Haynes? I want to give up and try to straighten out this little deal. Mr. Lawrence. Yes? Here's your money back. You got a right to call me a welcher. I promised I wouldn't give evidence against the girl and you paid my price. But enough is enough and right here and now I'm unloading. Just what does this mean? It means I saw her do it. <gasps> oh, you, you stupid, lying, rotten... Oh, yeah. It's Trevor, Get the pair of them out of here. <laughs> What can I say to myself now? What can I do? I'm sorry, Mr. Lawrence, but it's not necessary to eat your heart out. Many fathers before you have done their best and failed. But I had a special duty toward Diana. Special duty? Yes. I... Well, you see, you'll find it out sooner or later, so I'd best tell you now. I'm not a real father. I adopted her nine years ago when she was 14. I see. And I should never have done it. I realize now that I wasn't equal to the task. Well, 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 all's not lost yet. They may not convict her, you know. Eh? I said they may not convict her. But how could they fail to convict her? She killed Garth, didn't she? Did she? She shot him. But the gun was in townless possession. She could easily have stolen that. She could have broken into his office later. It, it wasn't locked. What wasn't locked? The Majolica cabinet was... I mean... I believe you mean what you said, Lawrence, the Majolica cabinet. For the life of me, I can't see how you could know whether it was locked or not, unless you had the experience of opening it. Could it be that you went looking for the gun yourself after Townley said he had confiscated it? That you killed Townley with a bow and arrow which you handle as well as your daughter because he was just on the point of telling me that you knew where the gun was? And that you were the likeliest murder suspect? You must be mad. Oh, sir, not I. <laughs> but you are mad and more than a little. You hated Willard Garth. It was you who were making the marriage impossible. You loathed him, and in the end, you killed him. How could I have killed him? I'll tell you a little secret, Mr. Lawrence. The police found cigar ash in the dashboard tray of the death car. Chemical analysis showed that the ash was from an El Adoro cigar. What have you got in your left hand, sir? In my... Uh, an Elidoro cigar. And in my right hand, a derringer. Powerful and admirable little weapon, Lawrence. I suggest you show proper respect for it by dropping all this here and now. You don't wish to hear me say the rest, that you were horribly in love with Diana, your own adopted daughter, in love and hopelessly, eternally frustrated... You begrudge me the triumph of accusing you of having bribed Haynes to let you take his place at the driver's seat of the limousine and further bribed and threatened him into putting on his show of many pranks and false confessions to confuse us all beyond measure. You said I loved Diana. Would I do all this to her if I did? Oh, but of course, as love as yours is really hate. You were content to see her dead rather than relinquish her. Like all miserly, small-hearted men, you would rather kill the thing you love than muster the generosity necessary to seeing it attain happiness. That's enough out of you. I should think it was much too much. It is. Archie, my boy, I'm grateful to you, both for coming back into the house when you did and for being such a good shot. Hope you remember that next time you feel like insulting me. <laughs> Tell me, what's with that cigar ash routine? Who told you the ashes in the limousine were from an Eladoro, boss? I never heard anything about that. 
<laughs> As a matter of fact, neither did I. No one could possibly have determined the brand by any chemical means in existence. I knew that, you see, and I took the long chance that Lawrence didn't. Aha. Uh-huh. But I still don't get the mainspring of the deal. How did you know he was in love with Diana? That, uh, that was genius. I have to admit it. You see, it all hinged on the statue of Apollo and Ariadne. According to the Greek myth, Apollo fell deeply in love with the nymph. But because they were of different worlds, he was condemned to pursue her always and never to catch her. Well, what's that got to do with the price of eggs? Isn't it perfectly obvious? Didn't he tell you that Diana had posed for the Ariadne? Yeah, but I still don't... And you yourself remarked on the fact that the finished Apollo looked somehow familiar, didn't you, Archie? Yeah. Yeah, I did, boss. Don't you know why that was? You mean that... I mean that Michael Lawrence unconsciously revealed the true state of his heart. He didn't intend to, I suppose. But precisely and accurately, he chiseled the features of the tortured god in his very own image. Oh. And speaking of torture, Archie... Yeah? Will we be home in time for dinner? Oh, boss, you can't be that hungry. Oh, I am. Good heavens, Archie. Do you realize that I haven't eaten since lunch? You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Peter Berry was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Larry Dobkin as Archie Goodwin and Gigi Pearson, Ted Von Els, Bill Johnstone, Peter Leeds, and Jay Novello. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolf and Archie will bring you The Case of the Brave Rabbit. Don Stanley speaking. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to look forward to a trip down Allen's Alley. The Fred Allen Show in this episode was first heard in 1948. bringing you some big news from your friendly Ford dealer. Next Thursday, June 10th, the world premiere of the 49 Ford, the first big motor car showing in eight years, will be held at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. Eight days later, on June 18th, a week from next Friday, your Ford dealer will display the new 49 Ford in his showroom. So mark these important dates on your calendar. Next Thursday, June 10th, world premiere of the 49 Ford at the Waldorf in New York. On Friday, June 18th, nationwide premiere of the 49 Ford at 6,400 Ford dealers. Starting on these dates, America will see the car of the year. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, at this time each year, most of the leading comedians leave radio for their annual summer vacation. One hearty Punchinello still carries on, however, and here he is, Fred Allen. Thank you, 
and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Kenny, you're right about most of the comedians starting on their summer vacation. Yeah, Red Shelton finished this week. Right. Bill McGee and Molly. Yeah. Bill Harris, Amos and Andy. I know. Jack Benny is still on, isn't he? Oh, yes. Up until this year, you know, Benny had to finish before the weather got too hot. Oh, and Jack can stay on in hot weather now? Since Airwick has been invented. <laughs> going to spend his vacation in Sweden and Norway. Yes, yes, sure, that's right, Kenny. Edgar is taking his fjord back home for service. <laughs> what is a fjord? Kenny, did I hear you correctly? <laughs> that question coming from the announcer on this program can lead to sudden unemployment, Kenny. <laughs> Before you get fired, though, what is, what is new? Well, I heard you on We the People last week. Oh, really? Your nature boy was on the program with you. Yes, that, yes, Kenny, I had a long talk with Nature Boy, through an interpreter. You know, he's, uh, he's only, Nature Boy's only going to stay in the swamps one more year. In the swamp? If he doesn't find Chloe by then, he's giving the whole thing up. <laughs> well, didn't New York confuse Nature Boy? Yes, he con uh, confessed to me behind a video executive that he told me that it did, that New York did confuse him. <laughs> the first time Nature Boy saw the Holland, Holland Tunnel, he fainted. He thought it was a big gopher hole. And Gopher reminds me, I think I'll go for the writer who wrote that joke. <laughs> On my way to Allen Valley, I think I'll go. Well, what is your question tonight? Well, this week, the Federal Reserve Board announced that credit buying is at a record high, and most families in America will overspend their incomes for 1948. And so our question is, are you spending more than you are making this year? Shall we go? As the big toe said when the man stepped on the lawnmower, I am off. Ah, what a night in Allen Valley, Kenny. There must be a benefit in the sky. All the stars are out. Well, let's, um, let's see if Senator Claghorn is around. Somebody, I say somebody fogged my flap. Yeah. As the tax collector says, let me have it, Tom. Well, look, Get going. I'm busy in the man with a stiff neck trying to watch a tennis match. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, I'm leaving for college tomorrow. I'm getting an honorary degree. A degree? I'm flattered, Tom. I never had no education. I'm a self-made man. A self-made man? I'm demonstrating the horrors of unskilled labor. <laughs> well, tell me, Senator, what do you want in college? I'm polishing up my Spanish, son. Spanish? Yeah, Henry Wallace is down in New Mexico speaking Spanish. I gotta head him off. That's it. C.C. Amigos. What was that? Uh, C.C. Amigos. I speak hey. Spanish like a castanet. <laughs> I could tell that. Yeah, Los Antigua, Senora, Popona, Ella, Palillo, Pogo, and Mescala, Potata. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what is that translated? The old lady is sticking a pogo stick in the mashed potatoes. Well, <laughs> isn't that an unusual sentence? Not in Spain. You can't trust an old lady in Spain, Tom. <laughs> minute your back is turned, she'll pull an enchilada on you. Oh. Well, look, Senator, our question tonight is about families overspending this year. Well, Democrats started that trend, Tom. Democrats? Democrats is in favor of spending. Spending what? The next four years in the White House. So long, son. So long, Eddie. Well, the Senator, the Senator sure gets some inside information. But uh, let's see what, uh, let's see what Mr. Moody thinks about it. Howdy, Bob. Well, Mr. Moody, how do you feel about this overspending? 
Why, the trouble is, people are buying too many things on the installment plan. What uh, What causes that? Oh, it's them smooth-talking sales fellas. Yeah? They're slick as slush. Slick as slush, eh? <laughs> you, uh, you've had an experience? Uh, I'm still laughing. Laughing? Uh, what, uh, what happened? Well, sir, one day, I was sitting in the kitchen, catching some flies from a pet spider. <laughs> catching flies? Yeah, my spider's got a stomach disorder. Oh, I see. He can't spin a whip. Uh-huh. Grunts and spins, but nothing comes out. <laughs> and without a web, the spider can't catch nothing. Oh, and you? I, I catch flies and mosquitoes to feed my spider. Well, that's very nice of you. Well, this day I was cupping my hand and catching flies. I heard somebody knocking. Knocking, eh? I went to the door. Yeah. It's a fellow in a checkered suit. He's a fast-talking Weisenheimer. A Weisenheimer, huh? Yeah. He says, Rube, can you write? I says, yes. Yeah. Easy word. Yeah. He says, uh, <laughs> uh, sign here on the dotted line. Well, sign for what? He says, for nothing down and 400 easy monthly payments, you are now the sole owner of a little dandy electric toaster, electric refrigerator, yeah. electric iron, and electric stove. You bought all of these things? Yeah. As I'm signing, I'm laughing to myself. You're laughing, eh? <laughs> For the last ten years, every month when I'm paying the eighty-four dollar installment, yeah, as I'm handing him the money, I laugh right in his face. Yeah. <laughs> Your house is full of electrical gadgets, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> then, uh, then why are you laughing? Because my house ain't wired for electricity. So long, man. <laughs> Has him. Well, let's uh, let's try this next door. Howdy, Chappie. Ah, uh, Mrs. Nussbaum. Is that a new book you're reading? This is to Moby Dick, a sequel. Oh, a sequel. Moby Dick? Moby Dick, that story about the whale? This they are calling Moby Max. Moby, Moby Max? For three weeks, he's living inside a surgeon, a man. A man inside a surgeon? To me, it's a silly. Well, how do you mean? If inside the surgeon is trapped a man, yes. he could eating himself out from inside the surgeon. From inside? Eating from inside out the surgeon is delicious. <laughs> I've never tried it that way. Well, Mrs. Nussbaum, what about this overspending business? I'm calling to mind an old saying. Yes? The leg is not knowing what the pocket is thinking. That is an old saying. <laughs> what? But that, that doesn't make sense. Overspending also is not making sense. Oh. I'm bringing it in cleverly so you will catch the point. I see. Well, never mind the cleverness right now. Tell me, what about people spending more than their income? A neighbor, Taboo Rappaport, is constantly overspending. How do you know? Although she is not working, always Taboo is buying fur coats, jewelry, also knicks with knacks. Well, <laughs> if Taboo Rappaport doesn't work, how can she afford to keep buying things? Ah, from Europe, a sister attending class. Well, where does a sister in Europe get the money? From a plan. The Morris plan? The Marshall plan. Oh, I <laughs> Well, here we are. Here we are at the driveway of Mr. Cassidy's estate. I wonder if Ajax is in. Well, Mr. 
Mr. Cassidy, what about people overspending? Happy boy, when I hear the word overspending, it calls to mind the sad fight of Rinty Moran. What happened to Rinty? Well, you recall that Black Friday when Mayor O'Dwyer announced on July 1st he was raising the subway fare to 10 cents? I do. On that day, Rinty found himself stuck with 10,000 nickel slugs. So? Rinty invited me out for an evening of revelry while he disposed of his outmoded illegal tender. And, uh, you accepted? Oh, as soon as Rinty loaded the slugs into two duffel bags, we was off for Coney Island. Rinty was spending his slugs, eh? The sky was the limit. Going into the subway, we went through four turnstiles, one for each leg. <laughs> I see. And when we got to Coney Island, oh, the fun began. The fun, eh? Rinty found a nearsighted lemonade man. <laughs> The lemonade late man. <laughs> lemonade man took the slab. Isn't he excited yourself, aren't you? No. <laughs> the lemonade man not only took the slugs, me boy, he was given a change. Fine. Then with the slugs, we started taking three rides. Oh, fine. On the flying <laughs> ass. We went on the flying ass. The flying atom? What is the flying atom? Well, you, you step into a castle, yeah. they throw in a little uranium, and whoosh, get off. Say, that's some ride. About three o'clock in the morning, I says, Rinty, I think me spine is gone. Yeah. I just sat down up to me shoulder blade. <laughs> yes? Rinty says, Cassidy, we'll have one last free ride. Uh-huh. With that, a man in a blue ensemble stepped out of the tunnel of love. Says he, gentlemen, you'll have your last free ride with me. And your last free ride was in the patrol. <laughs> well, tell me, where is Rinty? Oh, he's still in the hoose show. Still in? Yeah, Rinty forgot himself. How? When the judge sentenced him. Yes? Rinty tried to pay his fine with drugs. The oh. Now, Maestro Goodman signals us to stop this levity. He's ready to conduct. The five democracies is curtsy. The maestro raises his plastic baton. The song, I May Be Wrong. Girl? <laughs> Be here soon, and it's so wonderful, Fred. I can't find words to describe it. 
So I asked Al to try and describe it with music. Well, how can you describe the new Ford with music? Show him, Al. What uh, did that describe? Well, that gives you an idea of the new Ford's beauty and its long, low line. Hey, that was swell, Kenny. Well, listen to this next part.
And down in Chinatown, there's a disc jockey, Fred. His name is Hot Wax Wong. He broadcasts from a chop suey restaurant. A chop suey restaurant? Yes, and it's very hard to hear his records. Why? Well, instead of a needle, he uses a noodle. Oh, I can't He does it the hard way, I say. Say, I know a disc jockey at Cousin Ben's Diner over in Nutley, New Jersey. He broadcasts from a lunch wagon. Well, one morning about 5 o'clock, the disc jockey was a little groggy, and instead of a record, he put on a buckwheat cake. Well, he was off the air for two hours until he scraped the batter off his needle. <laughs> but, Jack, working all night, you must lead a very irregular life. Yes, Fred, I live just the opposite for most people. Well, what, what is your average day like? Well, every day I get up at the crack of dusk. The crack of dusk, eh? Yes, and after I eat breakfast, if it's a nice day, I go to a night baseball game. I see. And after the game, it's almost midnight. Well, I'm ready for lunch. Where do you eat? At the automat. Well, at midnight, isn't the automat closed? I have my own key, Fred. Oh, they give you a... Very nice of you. Yes, they leave me some food in a special compartment. Well, how do you find uh, one of those little compartments in the dark? They keep a light burning in the window just for me. Oh. And when you finish your midnight lunch, I blow out the light and come here to the copa. Well, Jack, sitting here playing records all night, you must have a lot of time on your hands. Yes, Fred, but I don't mind. It gives me a chance to do some thinking. Really? What uh, What do you think about? Well, mostly about radio and all the things that are wrong with radio. Really? What uh, What things? Well, take some of those dopey contestants on quiz programs. Dopey contestants? Yeah, how can the quiz masters be so considerate of morons? You mean one of those quiz shows that starts something like this? Take it or we'll sue. What is your name, please, sir? Uh... Never mind. Here it is on your card. Your name is Gabriel Gunzelfinger. That's me. I know it's you. I just told you. What did I win? Fifty dollars. Now, do you want to drive the hundred? Uh... Good. Here's your next question. Now, who was the first president of the United States? Uh... His first name was George. Uh... <laughs> there is a bridge named after him. George Bridge. Gunfinger, I think you'll find the first president was not George Ridge. No. He was George Washington. Oh. But you were certainly close. Yeah. You made a grand try. Here's five hundred dollars. Oh. Or we'll sue. Is that <laughs> is that what you mean, Jack? Yes, the guy's a jerk. He doesn't even know his own name. They treat him as though he's Einstein. I know. Fred, just once, I'd like to hear a quiz master tell one of those jokes off. What you would like to hear, in other words, is something like this. Money Six, the exciting new quiz program. Every contestant's head is covered with glue. The lucky winner puts his head into a bag of money, and all of the money that sticks to the contestant's head is his. For Money Six. And here's our quiz master, Art Finkletter. Well, sir, we're ready to play Money Six. Our first contestant is here with his head covered with glue. What is your name, sir? Uh... You don't know your own name, do you? Be told off. 
Well, what else bothers you in radio? Those soap commercials where people whisper about oh. you if you don't use a certain soap. Oh, that whispering. You mean one of those soap commercials that start? Folks, have you tried Aroma? The new all-purpose scientific soap? Aroma has the lava with the locked-in perfume. <laughs> Do your friends say, wow, when you come into the room? <laughs> you may have elbotosis. The medical name for potent elbows. Try a cake of aroma in your bath. You will be as fragrant as a tiger lily. Do what John Brown did. John Brown was a secretary to a big businessman. John Brown had you-know-what. His desk was not inside the office. John Brown sat outside in the hall. When the boss wanted to dictate a letter, he opened the door. Come in, Brown. Yes, sir. Wow! John Brown about aroma soap. That night, he tried it. The next morning, when the boss wanted to dictate a letter, he opened the office door. Come in, Brown. Yes, sir. Dad, what is that fragrant tiger lily odor? It is I, sir. <laughs> you smell lovely, Brown. Yes, sir. Shall I get in the closet, sir? No, Brown. Come sit on my lap. <laughs> Brown takes dictation sitting on his boss's lap. Someday he will be a vice president. Do you want to sit on the boss's lap? Do you want to smell like a tiger lily? Try a cake of aroma tonight. Is that what gets on your nerves, Jack? Yes, the guy takes one bath and he's a member of the firm already. Why doesn't somebody invent a soap that will just leave you alone? You'd like to hear something? You'd like to hear a soap commercial something like this. Friends, have you tried Lumpo? The new won't-do-nothing soap. Lumpo won't lather. Lumpo won't clean. But if you get lonesome bathing, Lumpo is good company in the tub. <laughs> if you want to keep those dishpan hands you've got, if you want to keep that rough, scaly complexion, if you want to take a bath and be the same getting out of the tub as you were getting in, try a lump of Lumpo. Lumpo leaves you alone. Bells. A-L-O-N-E. Well, how is that? Great, great. Well, what else in radio gets on your nerves? Those daytime serials, right? Jack, you, uh, uh, you with your schedule, you heard a daytime serial? Well, I woke up in the middle of the night after I heard it. I was so worried about the family, I couldn't go back to sleep. What you heard, I gather, was something like this. Presenting Life Can Be Lived. Another chapter in the life of John Doe and his typical family living in the typical Quonset hut halfway up the next block. Yesterday we left the whole family with their noses pressed against the parlor window, crying as Granny Doe's funeral started off. As the scene opens today, John Doe enters the room. Mary. John, you've come. Yes, Mary. Something is wrong. It's Grandpa. He needs another operation. Another operation? Grandpa just came back from the hospital this morning. I know. He fell through the bottom of the ambulance. There was a loose track. 
Another operation. Mary, we have no money. But if Grandpa isn't operated upon immediately, his sight will keep failing. They're on the light. <laughs> poor, poor Grandpa. John, have you seen Junior? No, I haven't. I hope he hasn't been run over again. <laughs> Wheel me to the window, John. Mary, you are in a wheelchair. Oh, John, I hope you wouldn't know here comes Junior. Who am I? Who am I? Junior has galloping amnesia. Who am I, Hayes? The man Lord. The man Lord must have hit him on the head again. That means the rent is due. Oh, John, what are we going to do? The rent, Grandpa's eye, my leg. We haven't any money, Mary. There's only one thing we can do. What can we do, John? We can all cry, Mary. Oh. <laughs> and with John Doe and his family crying as though their house would break, we end another chapter of Life Can Be Lived. <laughs> you heard, Jack? Yes, Brenda made me sore. Sore? John Doe sounds like an intelligent guy. What does he put up with all that stuff for? You mean you'd rather hear a serial that sounded like this? Mary. John, you come. You're always calling me at the filling station. What's wrong now? It's Grandpa. His eyes are failing. Turn on the light. Shut up, you old snow. John, here comes Junior. Who am I? What's wrong with him? Junior doesn't know who he is. That's the last straw, Mary. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Fifteen minutes every day, five days a week. Trouble. I've had enough. John, put down that gun. Get back in that wheelchair, Mary. Who am I? Who am I? You too. Oh. Turn on the light. Okay, Grandpa. Never mind, Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week when I'll uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joe Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, 
and The Garden Show.